so nice. Everyone's waiting for me. I was, I was in the back coaching, coaching one of our staff. Good morning. Isn't this a beautiful day compared to yesterday anyway? And congratulations to these, uh, this beautiful baby this morning, this family. It's spectacular. Thank you so much. It's good to have you all here at Union Chapel. We, uh, we're in a series called Divine Direction, trying to figure out God's best idea and plan for our lives. It's an important question, the most frequently asked question that people have who are serious about following Jesus. And so today I want to talk about the theme of, of starting, the faith, the courage it takes to, to take a step in the direction God's calling you to, because it's not always easy often has a lot of questions and challenges to it. So I want to build your faith today and encourage you and be as practical as I can about this. We've chosen as our text this morning from the book of Nehemiah. If you have your Bibles, that's an Old Testament reference, Nehemiah. And I'm going to read that first chapter for us as our reference today. And Nehemiah has much he can teach us on this subject. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, we'll project the words on the screen. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word. So as you're able, thank you for doing that. Now, Nehemiah lived uh, in, in the period of the Babylonian captivity. Israel had sinned and fallen away from God. They were rebellious, and so God allowed the Babylonians to come and overrun them, and they destroyed Jerusalem. I mean, they burned, burned the city and tore down the wall and desecrated the temple and, and carried the people of Israel into exile. And that, that exile, captivity, spanned for 140 years. And now here is a guy who was born, a Jewish guy named, named Nehemiah, who was born in captivity, but he has uh, become the cupbearer of the king. The king uh, takes wine every day, and the cupbearer's job was to taste the wine to make sure it wasn't poison. So Nehemiah, Nehemiah checked for poison and then served the king. And this is this Jewish guy and his story. Verse 1, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, that's the capital of the Babylonian Empire at the day, Han and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates have been burned with fire. And when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, and this was Nehemiah's prayer, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. So remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people 
whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. So Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man, the king, for I was the cupbearer to the king. May God inspire and instruct us today through his word. Uh, you may be seated. Thank you so much. Now listen, listen to your pastor. If you are following divine direction, trying to find God's best design and plan for your life, if you're following his direction, it will always, from time to time, always include a step of faith away from where you are in order for you to go in the direction God's calling you. Let me say it another way. In order to step towards your destiny or God's destination for your life, in order to do that, you have to step away from what is secure to your, to your present. What's comfortable, what's common, what's predictable. You have to step away from that. To step towards something new in God's direction for your life, you have to step away from something that is old. Now keep that in mind. Now what I know is when you preach God's word, I know this for sure, that it never returns void. In other words, it always has an effect. It always influences. And I know in this series that many, many people, I know this because of the feedback, and I know just in general this is true, that God has been speaking to you. He's asking you to try something, to step into something, something new, maybe, maybe to start school or to go back to school or maybe to invest in a relationship that you thought was lost or maybe it's time for you to start rehab or maybe it's time for you to go to a new job or start a different ministry or maybe uh, God wants you to start giving more and serving more in the life of the church. Maybe he wants you to join a small group, maybe start a business. I don't know what it is. But to step towards your destiny, you often have to step away from your security and start something new. Now, I want to say something that may sound completely obvious. I mean, why would you even have to say this it's so, so clear, so obvious, common sense? But it needs to be said, and this is really the theme for this message today. The thing that stops most people in today's culture is the start. The thing that stops people is actually the beginning. Folks are hesitant. We've, we've learned that there's an emerging culture now, the millennials and then the Gen Zers and the younger now that are emerging in, into culture. These folks, for a number of reasons which we've identified and others we haven't, have become hesitant, have become a bit reluctant. You know, this failure to launch syndrome. And there's a resistance to actually starting something that's important. Today, I, I want to challenge you to get started. Uh, you've seen it posted on Facebook or some other platform where you see this girl uh, has posted her before and after. You know, before she was 212 pounds, now she weighs 120. And, and, she, and she's in a size two. And you look at those pictures, you go, I love her and I hate her because you're impressed by what she's been able to do, but you hate her because you've tried to lose a few pounds and you just can't do it and you've just given up. And this is what happens to folks. We get paralyzed. We get, we get held back and held down by, by not knowing what to do or how to do it. And so we, we aren't willing to take the first step. Let me just remind you, 
you will never, ever, ever finish something you don't start. You can quote me on that. You should write that down feverishly. You will never, ever finish something that you don't start. Now, that sounds just, that's axiomatic, right? That's common sense. I mean, you don't have to say that out loud, do you? I mean, obviously, that's true. Well, okay, let's make the application. Consider this Old Testament character we have today, Nehemiah. I've described to you his situation. And so after all these years of captivity, some folks from Judah come back and say, you know, that the city's in ruins. The wall's all knocked down. The gates are burned. And Nehemiah begins to feel something. He feels a burden about this. He feels uh, heavy. He feels weighed down by the condition of the capital city of Jerusalem. And so he may not feel qualified to do anything about it. In fact, he probably isn't. I mean, if he's been born in captivity, he he hasn't had any general contracting experience. He's the cupbearer to the king. I mean, he lives and works inside all the time. So what does he know about rebuilding a wall? He may not know anything about it, but he has a burden about it. He has a sense that God is asking him to do something about that. Has that ever happened to you? When you may not have been the best candidate to react or respond to a particular need, but you knew God was giving you responsibility for it? Has that ever happened to you? This happened to Nehemiah. And so he said, look, I I can't live without addressing this. I've got to do something about this. And so that's what he does. And he takes this this wild uh, idea that he's going to ask the king whom he knows, he's in his presence every day, would you give me permission to go back to Jerusalem? It's 850 miles from here and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And the king grants him permission. It's an amazing thing. I think about our friends uh, Bob and Stacy Ball, uh, who started the ministry downtown in our inner city here in Muncie called Blood and Fire, Inside Out, and, and how burdened they were when they saw homelessness in our community, and they saw drug addiction, and they saw prostitution, and they saw people hungry, physically hungry. They, they saw children running loose in the streets, unsupervised, unstructured. And they decided to do something about that. Now, they didn't have any experience ministering to, to marginalized people, but they felt a burden for it. And so they began that ministry. And we've been in partnership with them for all of these many years. And we'll continue in partnership with them because of that wonderful work. So here's what we learned. That your divine burden, watch it, listen. Your divine burden often reveals your divine direction. The things that burden you and concern you and weigh on you are often the things God will use to set you in the right direction with his plan in your life. In my case, I can speak for myself, my burden is for people who are far from God to find and develop a meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ. That's that's just always motivated me. I'm passionate about that. From the time I met Jesus myself, I thought everybody ought to know who Jesus is. And so my burden is for that. And so you can, you can track my life by the activities and the ministries that I've embraced that help people who are far from God find a meaningful relationship with God. And this can be true for you. Maybe you've come through an addiction and you've, and, and you've overcome it. Maybe you have a burden for people who are suffering with those same addictions. And maybe you want to start a group, some kind of support. And you start with just a handful of men or a handful of women and you, and you gather these people and you encourage them, you help them because you've walked the walk. 
And now you can encourage them. Maybe, maybe it's a, as simple as, as noticing that there are children in our community who are without the kind of care and oversight and parenting that they need. You say, well, I can't foster all of them, but I can foster that one. I, Beth and I just learned this week that our youngest son, Isaac, and his wife have taken in a 19-year-old young man into their home. What's up with that, I ask? He said, well, his, his parents, aren't a, it's not a healthy culture, and he's on the street. He's out of high school. He wants to go on to learn a trade or go to college, and he's got a job in fast food. And so he just needs a place, needed a place to stay so he can save up some money and get his own apartment so, and, and continue going to school. So he just he needs, a, needs some months to catch up, to kind of get on top of it. And so he said, we let him move in with us. So it's, it's where your burden is, where your burden is, that's where divine direction will find your life. So what do you do when God starts to use a burden to take you in that new direction? What do you do? So on your outline, I want to give you three things we learned from Nehemiah today. Here's the first thing, and it's the most important thing. Number one, take it to God in prayer. Take it to God in prayer. Now, listen, when I say that, you go, oh, that's just preacher talk. You know, well, that's what preachers should say. You know, I should pray about it and talk to God about it. Listen, this is, this is the first thing Nehemiah did. And it's the first thing that, all of us should do. Let me remind you about something. When you are, when you are part of, of a ministry that's actually touching people and influencing people, and there's a genuine life transformation happening. I mean, my life has changed because of this new experience spiritually with God, and the local church is helping me find that. Anytime that's true, it's easy, uh, especially in today's culture, to assume that that influence is a product or the result of something really unique or fancy or pretty or you know some not good technology or special lighting or you know the nice you know the the chair you sit in or something like that all of those issues come into play i mean having enough places to park enough places to sit down and where it's nice it's kind of, all all of that stuff you you want to pursue excellence that's the value and of course, we, want, we do that. But it is, not, it is not what God uses ultimately to actually influence people and cause transformation in their lives. A real authentic move of God, a revival, you know, an old term language, language would be a revival. When, when, when entire peoples and communities get touched and transformed by some unusual uh, activity of the church, call it revival in history or, or awakening or something like that. This, an authentic move of God is never something that's been programmed, planned. It is always the result of what God has breathed. It is not programmed, planned. It is God breathed. It is the result of God's presence that God begins to move by his spirit so that the wind of God, the ruach of God, the breeze of God blows. You know, if, if your life is a, is a sailing vessel, it's the wind of God that fills your sails and moves you to another place. This has always been true. Nehemiah knew this instinctively. And so his first move, as should be our first move, is to call on God. God, if you don't do something... I mean, the walls... I don't know, what do I know about rebuilding walls? It's 850 miles from here. I've never even been there. I just know it's my ancestral place. 
the, the place of my people, and it's, and it's burdening me, it's hurting me. I can't, I can't look at that injustice any longer. I've got to do something about it. And God, if you don't help me, it'll never get done. It's the right first instinct. It's the right first impulse. And so Nehemiah grabs that and he prays and God gives him favor and the king gives him permission to go. So here's the second thing. I want to, uh, here's the second thing. If you, if you have this sense that God has given you a burden and taken you in a new direction, here's the second thing to know. And that is to start small. Start small. How do you do something big? By starting small. That's how you do it. You might start with a small group. You've been through something, you can help others. Start with a group. You may say, oh, no, I want to bring uh, godly marriages and families back to popularity in our culture. Okay, well, so here's how you start start with your own marriage, start with your own parenting. Be a godly husband, be a godly wife, be a godly parent. Uh, make your family a model of what it looks like to have Christian virtue. Maybe it's starting a small business or maybe it's paying off your student loan debt. How do you do that? Start small, start, start eating away at it. So many people, it's the start that stops them and you never ever finish something you don't start. Look on the screen at Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. So don't, don't despise the smallness. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed of it. Because what does the Lord do? According to this verse, the Lord rejoices to see the work begun. So you got to start. As soon as you start, God goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. As soon as you take the first step, the Lord is saying, I'm rejoicing over that. Look at you. Look at you. You've taken a step. In the right. You've started this thing. It's, it's so powerful. It's like when, you're, when, you're, when your child takes the first step. If you're a parent or a grandparent, you, you know, your, your children take the first step. That's a big day, right? I mean, you can remember those moments. You try to, you f try to photograph those moments. You know, they've, they've got this drunken Frankenstein thing going. And you're, you're encouraged, and they fall over. What do you do? You just that's okay, that's okay. Stand them back up. You're just encouraging them. And, and as soon as they take three or four or five steps for the first time, listen, you can be the most somber, you know, all buttoned up, proper kind of person, personality in the world. But that, even that personality is raising their hands and going, woohoo, because this is a big day. This is so important. This is worth, this is worth rejoicing over. And so we celebrate that. And that's what God does when you take your first step and into a new direction that he's calling you to, to fulfill a burden that he's put on your heart. A couple of weeks ago, I showed you a video of our oldest son, Aaron, teaching one of his girls to ride a bike. Uh, let me show you our youngest son, Isaac. This is after I taught him how to ride a bike. See what, what happened.
Obviously, I thought it was funny. <laughs> that looks like our lives, though, occasionally, right? You're learning something for the first time. You're taking first steps, trying to follow God's best plan. And sometimes you know, crash and burn. Sometimes you just you, you fall off. Sometimes you get off track. But even if you do that, what happens to you when you make a mistake? You learn wisdom. You learn wisdom. God redeems all of that. You learn wisdom. That's where this phrase, if I knew then what I know now, comes from. And I can tell you, that's the last time our son Isaac, who was four right there, it was the last time in his life that he over-accelerated to make that corner. I mean, from then on, he was more cautious coming around that corner. He never wrecked like that again. So you, you gain wisdom. Even if you get a little bit off track, here's the, here's the promise. If, if your heart is right, your motives are right, your why is right, God will always get you doing the right things, getting you to the right what's. And that's the promise. And you can trust him. You can trust the process if your heart is sincere in following his best ideal and plan. And so you've got to have the faith to take the first step. You've got to have faith to start. Um, Nehemiah, what's interesting here is he had no experience in building. But someone had to stand there and go, okay, here's, let's put the first stone in place for this wall. Someone had to do that. He's supervising that. It's amazing. And he's, he's in investigating what it's going to take. And so if you just start backing out of it, you know that it only took 52 days for them to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Even in today's technology, folks go, that's an amazing accomplishment. 52, I mean, that's a substantial wall and these huge stones. And so they built it in 52 days. But if you start backing it out, back it out, what, what, what do you come to first? Well, first... First, uh, Nehemiah has to get to Jerusalem. That's 850 miles, probably on the back of a burrow. Can you feel a burrow every step for 850 miles? My goodness. That's, you know, that, so back it up before then. Back it up before then, and he's got, you've, he's got to stop and ask the question, okay, what should I take? I've got to pack my bags. He's in Susa, he's got to pack his bags. And so he's filling his suitcase with stuff because I'm heading to Jerusalem. And back it up from that. Okay, what are the personal items I need to put in my bag? Well, he's got to put his toothbrush in the bag. And he's got to put his retainer in the bag because he didn't want his teeth to come, you know, come crooked again. So he, he, re, so he puts a retainer in. Well, what am I saying? These are small steps. Small steps. You take a little step, you pack your bag. You take the next step, you make the journey. You take the next step, you do some analysis. You know, he's up at night walking around this, this destroyed city saying, what's it going to take? And he's making a plan and he's thinking it through and he takes the next step and he gathers some people who will work with him. And then he takes the next step and he inspires them because the Bible says that they, were, they had a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other, a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other hand. And he had to encourage them, you know, fight for your, fight, fight for your, your, your brothers, fight for your sisters, fight for your God, fight for your nation. And he inspired them. And so there's just step by step by step by step. And this is how you get to amazing places in God's plan for your life. So if you want to do something big, what do you do? You start small. Look at Nehemiah chapter 2. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in, in Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. We'll no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let's start. 
Let's take the first step. Let's start. So they began the good work. They began the good work. Wow. When Beth and I first came to Union Chapel, I mean, our, uh, our salary the first couple of years that we were here was $9,800 for the year. And we had a roof over our head. The church owned a home called a parsonage. So we lived in the church-owned parsonage. Now, the, the parsonage had uh, electric ceiling heat. And it was very expensive to heat the house. And we discovered we couldn't afford to keep the house heated. So there was a, a, ha- a room in the middle of the house called a den. It was a 10 by 12 foot room. And it was originally put there to be like the church's office. So it was 10 by 12. And so we turned the heat on in there. And so we'd finish dinner and then we'd run into the den in the wintertime to stay warm. And when it was bedtime, you know, the boys would go, They'd go to the door of the den and they'd look around and they'd take off running down the hallway and jump in their beds and, you know, just pile on the, on the blankets. We said, just lay there for a minute. You'll get warm. And, and, so, and but we didn't go, we despise this. We hate this. This is shameful. This is horrible. No one, it never crossed our mind because you just do, you just do what you got to do. You take the next step on Saturday nights. This was my ritual. I would sit down at a typewriter and a typewriter is an old machine that had a keyboard in front of it, and you would hit a you would hit a letter on the keyboard, and an arm, a physical arm, would swing up like this. On the end of this arm, there, there would be a little impression of a letter of the alphabet. You would hit that hit that on the keyboard, and it would swing this arm up and go bam, and actually leave an imprint of that letter on the paper. And then you would sit there typing like that, and these arms would be flying up like this banging away. You can see these machines now in museums if you go there. (laughs) And we had a typewriter like that. And then I would cut a stencil every Saturday night. Now the stencil was a special kind of piece of paper that when the arm with with the letter on it came flying up, it would actually cut a hole in this special paper in the shape of that letter. And then after you've typed everything you want to type, in this case for the church bulletin, uh, then I would take it over to a mimeograph machine. Now, a mimeograph machine was a was a little drum like this, about this is about this long and ha- you know is about eight inches in diameter or so, and and it and you would put ink inside of this drum and it had kind of a str- screen on one one edge of it, and then you put and then felt this felt paper over that. And then you, what you do is stretch this stencil that you've cut out with the and you'd lay it over this this drum like that and you'd fill it with ink and then uh, some of them were electric the fancy ones were electric and the drum would spin like this but ours was manual so I would it had a little crank on it so I would crank I'd crank the drum on this mimeograph machine you know that had this stencil and the ink would by the centrifugal force be forced through the felt and then through this stencil and then you would run it over paper the church bulletins and it would print on the church bulletin. So every Saturday night, I'm running church bulletins. And then on Saturday, Sunday morning, I wake up and I go to the church early and turn, open the doors and turn on the heat because that's, you know, that's, what, that's what you do. And, and you don't despise small beginnings. You don't do that. You just take the next step. Take the next step. You do, you do whatever it takes and you take the next step. Uh, we took our staff out to the old church uh, some months ago just to give them perspective on where we started from to where we are now. And, and so how do you get there? How do you, how do you get way out there? 
step by step by step. You take the first step. If you don't take the first step, if you don't start, you'll never finish. You'll never get anywhere. If you don't start, sweetheart, listen to me. It's okay, you can start. You you might stumble and fall down. You might fall off, but just get back up. God's with you. He's got this. He's got you. You can trust him. You can trust the process, but you've got to start. Listen, young man, you have to move out of your mother's basement. You have to get out of there. You have to get out of there as soon as possible. It's not okay. Just because, just because millions of people your age in, in American culture are living in their mother's basement doesn't mean it's okay. It's not okay. It's bad. It's bad. It's wrong. It's not, it's not right. It's not healthy. It's not godly. Get out of there. Get started. Take the next step. It doesn't matter if the step you take is perfect or it's going to lead to your ideal, whatever. Just move. Just start pedaling. Just start going and trust God along the way. I don't know who I'm talking to today. I'm talking to somebody. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. There are, there, are many, there are as many human casualties being created in today's culture, not by mistakes made, but by steps not taken, than perhaps by any other cause. Time to go. Time to move. It's time to get it done. Let me, put this on the, let me put this on the screen, and I want you to write it down. It's right in your bulletin, right, right in your outline there. Watch this. You don't have to have the faith to finish. You just have to have the faith to start. Don't have to have the faith to finish, just the faith to start. Third point, last point, we'll be done. Ready? Write this down. Take the next step. Take the next step. Now, we know that Nehemiah suffered all kinds of opposition. Now, I told you they had a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other hand. There were people mocking them, ridiculing them. This is in chapter 2 of Nehemiah. What is this you're doing, they ask? Are you rebelling against the king? You're going to get in trouble for this. And Nehemiah had to overcome all of that. If you were here last week, you know that there are some things inevitable in the process of of divine direction. One is the Spirit's prompting. The Spirit will prompt you to next step. There will be certain uncertainty. You can't see the long-term picture. You can only see enough for the next step. There is predictable resistance. Count on it. It's guaranteed. Always happens. No one's ever avoided it. If you follow Jesus, there's going to be resistance. That's normal. And it should be a a point of encouragement to you, not discouragement when you get this resistance. So what do you do? You take the next step. Years ago, I was in a conference, and there was a doctor there, a theologian called C. Peter Wagner. He was very well known, and, and I was just privileged and honored to be in his presence. I was sitting at his feet, and he was talking. And I've already told you what my primary burden that God's put in my life to help people far from God find a meaningful relationship with Jesus. And so here's Dr. Wagner, and he's talking about reaching people and expanding influence for the kingdom. And then he came to this statement. He said, the most effective way to reach people far from God is. Man, I'm right. I'm ready. I'm thinking, this is going to be important for me to hear. And it was. The most important way, the most effective way to reach people who are far from God is planting new churches. Ding, 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 ding. 
lights, lights are flashing. I mean, fireworks are going off. And I think that's the most effective way to pre- reach people far from God, planting churches, new churches. Then that's what I'm going to do. Because why would you want to do the second best effective way, <laughs> the third best, when you know what the best way And that's what we've done. We've been doing this for years. And as you know, about two and a half years ago, we doubled down on this. We set some goals about planting 10 new churches in the next decade. And and tomorrow morning, we will have a Zoom conference with all of the people associated with Union Chapel right now and church planting initiatives here and there. So we call it the Union Chapel Association of Churches. And all these guys will... We'll get on their computers, we'll Zoom, we'll be able to see each other and hear each other, and, and we'll have a little conference. We do this every quarter of the Union, Union Chapel Association. There will be people tomorrow on the screen associating with us in Indiana, three different communities in Indiana. There will be people from Ohio, from Florida, from Tennessee, from Arkansas, from Colorado, and from Ecuador, and from Kazakhstan, Central, Central Asia on this call. When you total up all of these churches that, that have been planted and started just inside of the last three years, if you total up the, the total worship attendance, including what we do here at Union Chapel on the weekend, uh, this weekend with all of these churches associated with us, just from churches that we are partnered with and we've planted, there'll be over 5,000 people worshiping Jesus in churches all over the country and in other parts of the world. That's amazing, isn't it? That's amazing. And let me just prophesy to you what the seeds we're sowing in these churches right now are going to spring up and bear fruit. So 10 years from now, that number is going to be tens of thousands and 20 years from now and a hundred years from now, listen to me, it'll be a big thing. How do you get there? How do you get to even where we are right now? Take a step. Take the first step. Take the first step. How did, you, how did you develop a big ministry campus like this, you know, accommodating so many needs of so many people, so many effective ministries coming off this campus? How do you do that? It's just the first step. Make an offer to the guy who owned the car dealership originally. Try to figure out how to pay for it. Then renovate it. Build some classrooms and a worship space. Then, then buy the 30 acres to the south build a big building for your youth ministry that becomes a, a new worship center venue. How, do, how does that happen? Step by step. Take, just take the first step. Take the first step. How do you reach so many teenagers? Just take a step. How do you start a ministry in Kazakhstan, Central Asia? I mean, that's not even, you can't even do that. You can't get there from here. Just take a step. Take the first step. You don't have to see, you don't have to see the beginning to the end, end from the beginning. Just take the next step. Get started. Where your burden is, where your passion is, where your sense of call is, just move that way. Take the next step. I'm helping somebody. I know I am. So it doesn't mean you have to start something big. You know, if you want to lose 20 pounds, here's what you do. You get on the treadmill the first time. And you walk for 10 minutes. That's how you start. And the next time a brownie shows up, you know, at the end of the meal, you just push that aside. And you do that step by step, and then you lose 20 pounds. But you take the first step. You want to get out of debt? You know, some of you have done the Dave Ramsey, you know, uh, total money makeover, and everyone here should know the baby steps, Dave Ramsey's baby steps. A baby can understand them. 
They're baby steps. The first step is, you know, get $1,000 in an emergency fund. You say, well, how could I possibly get $1,000 in an emergency fund? You take the first step. You stop buying $5 cups of coffee. Step one. And then you go home and you, and you see a bunch of junk in your garage that other people might find valuable. So you put it up for sale on eBay and you sell it. By the end of the week, you got $85 now that you didn't have toward your emergency fund, step by step, until it grows. So how do you become more like Christ? Step by step. How do you become more like Jesus? How, how do you become a more faithful follower of him? Step by step. Download the YouVersion Bible app. You say, I just don't understand the Bible. I don't, it's hard for me to read the Bible. You don't even have to read. Just download the app and, and push a button and the Bible will read to you. It'll, it, it has all kinds of Bible reading uh, programs. Just pick one and it will do it for All you have to do is turn it on and push a button. And suddenly now you're absorbing the word of God. It's join a small group. It's, you know, it's take your intention to do something to help yourself and actually do it. Take the step. It's volunteering to serve, taking your eyes off of yourself for a couple hours a week and putting it on someone else. And suddenly you begin to see your life is transformed. Step by step by step. There's a great quote from St. Francis of Assisi. Great saint from the past. I'll put this on the screen for you. This, I just love this. This is so good. He said, start doing what's necessary, then what's possible, and then suddenly you're doing the impossible. Do what's necessary, then what's possible, and one of these days you'll be going, wow, God, look what you've done. Look, God, this is amazing. And it's a remarkable thing, but it, 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 it began with the first step, starting off. I had this conversation with our staff, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Just gave, I give them this speech every once in a while about whatever it takes. The, the idea is here, whatever it takes. You have your specific job description and realm of responsibility, and that's your first, that's your first thing. But you are also responsible for everything. You're not on a cruise ship looking, at the, looking, looking at, the, at the scenery. You're part of the staff on the ship now. So you're, all, everyone is responsible for everything. We've got each other's back. We take care of each other. And if, if you're too busy or too important, for example, to, when you see a piece of paper on the floor, uh, to walk by it thinking, well, that's someone else's job to pick that up. If you're too good for that, then you're too good to work here because that's not the right spirit. The right spirit is bend over, pick it up, and throw it in the trash. That's what you do. I mean, Beth and I got out of the car this morning. We parked on, on the very corner of our property over here, and there are two toters that sit right on Soretta Lane that the garbage comes and picks up. Well, the wind last night blew those toters over, knocked them over, so there's trash and construction debris all over the parking lot and all over the street. I mean, it's right out to the street. Beth and I did not say a word to each other. I'm just telling you what happened this morning. We got out of the car. We both walked over to these toters and we start cleaning up the trash. We didn't say anything. We, we still haven't made a peep to each other about this. We just went over there. She took her toter. I took mine. We picked up all the trash and debris out of the street, put them back in the toter and just rolled them back over closer to the building where they're not going to blow over anymore. And then we came in. To, to start church. 
You would never know about that, except that it kind of fits this illustration this morning. We didn't, we didn't even say anything to each other. We, we just did it, because that's what you do. That's what you do. You want to you be part of something big? Then you've got to start small. You've got to be willing to take that first step. And that's what makes a difference. And St. Francis got it. He said, you do what's necessary, then you do what's possible. And then one of these days you'll look around and go, man, this was impossible. Look what God has done. So let me ask you this. Who knows what's on the other side of your first step of obedience? Who knows? You don't have to have the faith to finish. You just have to have the faith to start. Dream big, start small. Dream big, start small. But most of all, hear it, you got to start. You got to start. One more verse and we're done. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now, the answer to the question is, I got it. You ready? The answer is, I got it. Ready? Do you get it? One more time. you get it? All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you today for this powerful story. We pray that you would inspire us to have the faith to start in the direction you're calling to us to. Thank you, God, that years from now when we look back, we'll say, oh, my. God did more than we could ever imagine because we had the courage and the faith to obey the Spirit's prompting. Lord, we thank you that you're making us the kind of who so that what we do matters. Help us become who you want us to be so we can do what you call us to do. Thank you for reminding us that when we live with the right why, you'll lead us to the right what. So we thank you. Whenever we want wisdom, we know what to do. You give it. So we ask you for it. So thank you for the Spirit's prompting. Thank you that along the way there's going to be certain uncertainty. It's, it's just for sure that the resistance is predictable, happens every time. And yet we can do so with confidence that's uncommon because of our trust in you. Let me just ask you, friends, um, if, you are, if you are sincere in following divine direction in your life, and you say, Pastor Greg, I, I do. I need, I need more encouragement. I need more faith to start in the right direction. And you would say, I want the faith to do what God calls me to do. I want the faith to start. If that's true for you, just lift your hand. Say, Lord, here, right here I am. I need, I, need, I need faith so that I can take that next step. So good. Lord, we know you convert divine burdens into divine direction. So show us what you want us to do. Give us courage. God, help us to take one simple step of faith, trusting that you will lead us exactly to the place you want us to go. Give us faith to follow Jesus. Give us the faith to start. We pray in his name. And the people said, amen. Would you stand with us?